I want to invite you to open your Bible. Um, I, I believe all of the, the, the text, the scriptures, and there's quite a few this morning, just a disclaimer, we're going to be moving around. They will be on the screen behind me, but I encourage you to have your, your Bible or your, your phone, your, your uh, technology of choice. By the way, paper is technology. Do you know that? You go back, what, 500 years maybe, and the printing press actually was a, a world-changing technology that people rejected. Many people, this newfangled thing called the printing press, and I can have my own paper copy. So it's technology, right? It's all just technology. It's what we do with it. So we use it to glorify him and, and use it for his glory or for our, ourselves. So whether you've got a paper Bible or a phone or a tablet, I want to encourage you to get that out. We will come to 1 John chapter 4, our text this morning in our study of 1 John. This is how we know. We will come to that eventually, but we're going to start somewhere else. Have you heard of this um, Antichrist guy, person? Anybody? Okay. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and they have some questions about the day of the Lord, the Lord's return, this promise. In a, in a little bit, we're going to take communion, and I will probably say, we do that, when we do this, we proclaim his death until... We, ha we have this in our thinking, don't we? We have this in our theology. Hopefully, we have this in our practice and how we're living life, that Jesus has promised to return. We can agree? Thank you, Matt. At least two of us are excited about his return. But then when you step back from that and you say, okay, let's kind of examine that, then there's all kinds of questions and all kinds of when and how and what are the details because we are people that like to know. Do you remember the disciples? Jesus is, is teaching and he's telling them about these things. What's their first question? When. When, right? Not why, not how, a little bit of how, but primarily they want to know, when is this going to happen? Is that good? It is. That's okay. When my wife, uh, my wife tells me yesterday that there's a party at our house. Somebody ruined it. Yeah. He shall go nameless, you know. DM will go nameless. And she's... She knows that, you know, this is not maybe where I'm most comfortable, so she's tactical in how she's describing this. And what do you think my first question is? When. When, when are people going to show up? When do I have to be prepared to receive guests and to interact with people? So, and was that, and was that, was that selfish of me? No. no, right? I mean, that's a legitimate question. The disciples want to know when. And here we are 2,000 later, years later, and we're living in a day where just about everywhere we look, it seems to be saying, hey, 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 pay attention, wake up. And our question is still the same, is it not? When? I mean, we love to argue and debate and talk about, you know, different aspects of it, right? We do. We're, some of us, more passionate than others, but we want to know the details. We want to know how, how, the how it's going to play out. We know the why. Do we know the why? Do we? Do we know the why? We do, right? We know the why. The one who gave his life on the cross is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And this is not the end. This was an intentional chapter in his story, our story, God's story, that lead to eventually him sitting on a throne and being the, kingdom of, the king of the world, the king of the universe, the king of everything. 
So we know the why, that Jesus will be glorified. Philippians 2, you read it. That's why God gave him a name above every other name, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We know the why. We're curious about the when. We do want to talk about the how. We want to talk about how this is going to unfold. But I think what lingers most or what penetrates our thinking the most is the when. I want to be ready. That's not new. They're asking these questions. There, there are events in their lives that led them to believe, did it already happen? When is it going to happen? How far away? Should I, you know, get, how do I get ready for it? And so he addresses these questions in 2 Thessalonians 2 in part. There's other places as well. But he says this. Here's what I want us to, to, to see in this text. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. See, the reality about this plan that God has there's an opponent to this plan. His name is Satan, Lucifer. He was a created angel, the, the serpent, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He goes by many names. But he's a real created being, and he has a very real agenda to try to keep, stop God's plans from happening. And he's arrogant enough to believe that he still has a that that's still a possibility. He was there. He's a created being, but he is, he is an angel. He, he doesn't exist in the time limits that we do. He doesn't have an age like we do. He had a beginning, but he was there. And that seemed like maybe the moment that he could thwart God's plans. But here's what he's consistently done from the very beginning, and you see it in Genesis 3. His primary tactic is deception. See, he's not on the side of truth, and he knows it. He knows that he is not the truth. He knows who the way, the truth, and the life is. He knows him intimately, if I can say it that way. At one point, he worshiped him and served him. And so his tactic from the beginning has been, okay, I can't undo the truth, but maybe if I can twist it, maybe if I can just deceive people enough that I can somehow thwart God's plan. And so Paul tells the, Thessal Thessalon the Thessalonians, there we go, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless some things happen. The apostasy, the falling away will come first. And then there's this guy called the man of lawlessness, and he's going to be revealed at a certain time. This man is doomed to destruction. There's the, there's the final chapter. If you, if you don't like to read ahead, sorry, there's the end. He's not going to win, but he is a man of lawlessness, and we're going to see that he has certain capacity and power and authority. He opposes and he exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. Every faith, every religion, whatever name humans have given to who they worship, think about that. Sometimes I think we, we see the Antichrist, the, this beast, this man of lawlessness, we see him as only against Christianity, against Jesus, but that's not true. He will set himself up above all objects of belief, all directions of faith, and he'll say, those are all bogus, there's only one God, there's only one being that you should worship, and it's me, not me, you with me? It's, it, he will say it's me. He opposes, he exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple. 
Now there's a, there's a picture there of, of what, how he sees himself, but I also believe there's a reference to this is actually going to happen. He's going to sit in Jerusalem. There's a moment where he, in our timeline, where he will exalt himself and he will sit in God's temple proclaiming that he himself, not everything else that we've heard and through the centuries and millennia that we've worshipped, there's only one God and it's him. You've heard about this guy? Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, as this unfolds, the, 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 the timing, or not the timing, but the method, because only God, God is the keeper of the timing, right? Remember Jesus and his disciples, and they go, when? And he said, no. If he was Bush, he would say, not going to do it. For the older people, you know, not going to tell you. If you don't know what that is, see me afterwards. I'm not, no, it, only the Father knows, and that's not given to humanity the coming of the law, lawless one, the process, the unfolding, is based on Satan's working. Who is behind the Antichrist, the, the lawless one? Who, who is manipulating, who is working to make this unfold? It is Satan. It's pretty clear, isn't it? With every kind of miracle, Satan is going to give this person every, the ability to do miracles, signs, wonders, and they will all, and this should be underlined in your Bible, they will all serve the lie. If you're not clear on what the lie is, go back up to what we already read, proclaiming that he himself is God. That's the lie. Go with me just briefly back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? Has God really said? Are you sure God's not? What is he doing there? In, in his original temptation of, of trying to get mankind, humanity, the creation, to rebel against its creator, his tactic is he's planting the seed that who you think is God is really not God. Eventually you're going to come to understand that it's me. I have your best interest at heart. And you need to question God, and you need instead to listen to me. That's the lie. All that the Antichrist does, all that these, these characters that are given to us in the Word of God, of it, the unfolding of the day of the Lord, it's all behind the scenes, and not always so completely behind the scenes. It's Satan working to promote his lie. And he's going to do it, look back at your Bible, he's going to do it with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. Are people dying every day in our world? And are people dying every day in our world without faith in Jesus Christ, without an assurance that they belong to him? Yeah, they are. Look what it says. With every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. What Paul is saying is there is the truth, and Jesus is very clear, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there is the lie. And every one of us makes a choice. Every living human being breathing on this planet will make a choice of which, which they will believe. And you've got God over here, and we talk about this all the time. I, I'm going to try to limit this to two hours, Don, the message this morning, so... But we talk about this all the time. We're going to come to the Lord's table. We have this symbol. We, it, just, it, it should be in our thinking, in our, in, our, in our passion, in our hearts all the time that God sent his son to die for us, for humanity. 
That's the truth. That's the love of God. Did you, did you see how he said that? They did not accept the love of the truth. The gospel is God's love for creation, for me, for us, for humanity, for God so loved this crazy broken world, he loves us so much that he gave, and he gave his son. And, and Jesus said, as God, he said, Philippians 2, I will lay this aside here in heaven, and I will go down, and I will be physically born in the womb of a woman, and I will grow up, and I will live this earth, and then I will willingly give my life. I will let them nail me to that cross, and as sinless, perfect, righteous as God, I will take the place of sinful, broken humanity. Why, God? Because I love creation. I love this rabble that we are. And that's the truth. And Satan over here is trying to deceive us with a lie. They perish because they, they don't accept the love of the truth and are saved. For this reason, God sends them. Look at this. This is hard to read. God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. Can I say it the best way, the, the, the clearest way that I know how to say this? There are consequences to rejecting the truth. And we, I think we have in our, at least partially in our thinking, even if we, you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you're just kind of processing this and we kind of have it in our thinking that, okay, the consequences of doing my own thing is going to be death, because all, we all die, right? We all die physically, and then maybe i got to face something after that. But Paul makes it clear that the consequences of rejecting the truth happen in this life. I have no idea the, the, the window, the, the grace of God, the, the, the way that he steps into a life and says, here I am and I, I want you to know me and, and he begins to reveal himself. But the word of God is clear throughout the pages of scripture that God in his sovereignty determines that, that day of salvation, that window of opportunity. You remember Pharaoh, right? That's the, and that's kind of hard for us too, right? And we, we, we read that in Exodus, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, he said no to God, he hardened his heart, he elevated himself above God. I'm, you know, Pharaoh, and no. And then as we're reading, at some point it changes, do you remember? And it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's hard for me to read. And here Paul says, God determines this. God sends a delusion. When and how and the timing, that's, how, that's, it. that's only he knows. But he sends a delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned. All are accountable for what we do with the truth. God makes this truth available. He reveals his love for us. Oh, Romans 1 and 2, that whole picture there. And he just he says, take a look up into the heavens. Look at what God has done to reveal to us that he's here, he's real, and he loves us. We're not here by chance. This world didn't develop over billions of years and somehow come together in the amazing, beautiful thing that it is. And I know it's groaning and I know we have issues and we're debating whose fault that is. Lay that aside for just a second and recognize creation for what it is. That God has created all of this as a home for us and then says, I'm here, take a look. I did this all for you. But Satan is working overtime, and he's going to use this character, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness, in a very 
specific way to bring deception. Those who did not believe the truth, but instead delighted in unrighteousness, delight in the lie, embrace the lie. So, saying, having said all that, you say, what's this got to do with 1 John, and why are, we, why are you using all your time for this? Here's the question. The weight of this, and, and as I've traveled this last, this last month, and I've encountered physically literally millions of people in airports and cities and different places, the reality of this is, is global. It's not California. It's not the United States. It's global. This question, this battle that's going on, how do we discern between the truth and the lie. Because so much is at stake. How do we know that? So this is 1 John. Just these, these verses are gonna come on the screen behind, behind me and I'm gonna move through them quickly. This is 1 John. Look at the, these, these, these verses taken from 1 John, chapter two. This is how we are sure that we've come to know him. We know the truth by keeping his commands. Again, chapter two. This is how we know that we're in him. We've been adopted into his family. The one who says he remains in him, that we are in him, should walk as Jesus walked. Again, chapter two, verse 29. If you know that God is righteous, he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who has done what is right has been born of him. First John 3, we know that when Jesus appears, we're going to be like him because we will see him as he is. Again, later in verse 3, we know that we've passed from death, from the lie to the truth. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Verse 16 of chapter 3, this is how we have come to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. Verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3, little children, we don't love in word or speech. We, we must not love in word or speech, but we love in deed and truth. That is how we know that we belong to him. Verse, 3, 20, verse 24, and the way that we know that he is in us, that he remains in us, is from the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that he has given to us. This is how I know. Chapter four, verse two, this is how you know the Spirit of God. We're going to look at this in a minute. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. This is how you recognize the Holy Spirit, those who speak for God. Verse 13 of chapter 4. This is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us. He has given us assurance from his spirit. The work of the spirit in me and in you, if we've confessed Jesus and he's in us, is to reassure us that we're his. This is how we know Verse five, chapter five, verse two, this is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. Chapter five, verse 13, John says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Are you, are you hearing this in the context of the truth and the lie and the battle that's going on? How do we discern, how do we know? Chapter five, verse 15. And we know that he hears whatever we ask. We know, we prayed just a few minutes ago. We know that we have what we have asked him for. We know that he listens. We know that he responds. Into verse, chapter five, into chapter five, verse 18. We know that everyone who is born born of God does not sin, no longer practice, lives sin, no longer lives the lie. They're walking in the light. Isn't John told us that? They're walking in the truth. The one who is born of God 
keeps his word, keeps his commands, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway, the influence, the deception of the evil one. Have you noticed that? Everywhere we turn, where we go, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one, the truth. Truth is over here, right? That we would know the truth. How do I discern this, this, this deception of Satan? Would you agree has been pretty effective over the years? And you look around today and you're like, wow. You ever felt, just raise your hand if you're willing to, have you ever felt like Satan seems to be winning? I'll raise, I'll, yeah, I have. I know it's not true, but the feeling is, man, what in the world? How do we discern? How do we make sure not only that we are on the side of truth, but that our lives are also being lived in such a way that, that, that reveals the truth and is drawing people to the truth away from the lie? That's what I believe, and we've been teaching it, Matt and Jeff and I, the last couple of months. John's intent for this letter, he wants us to know the truth. There's things you can know for certain, you can be confident, you can have clarity, you can live your life with courage in the midst of this battle because you know the truth. And you can live it in the midst of this battle. John lays a foundation for a life of faith. We say that all the time, we're followers of Jesus and we're called to live by faith. Is that hard? Can I just tell you, I find that really hard. I'm laying in a, I'm, well, I was laying at this point, in an in a airport in another country, and the rules had changed when I left Dallas, and now I'm in, in Qatar, and the rules had changed, and it's 11 at night, and I'd just eaten a Subway. There was a Subway sandwich. I go, oh, I, I recognize this. And I eat a Subway sandwich. Everything else was closed, and the rules had changed, and I'm laying there on my backpack. God, <laughs> what in the world? You know, it feels, it feels like... <laughs> You're not winning, and I don't know what to do, and, and, and my faith was, was tested. I love God, and I, I, didn't get, I, wasn't, I wasn't having a crisis in my faith, but I was looking at the circumstances and saying, God, God help me. I believe, help my unbelief, because it looks like somebody else is winning, but I know the truth, and I want to live by faith in this moment, and he did just that for me. John is laying this foundation for a life of faith. But let me, let me throw out this, this picture. I believe, and he wouldn't use this term, I'm gonna use this term. As he lays out this foundation, his passion, his commitment, his zeal, starting with, with chapter one where he just says, I'm telling you, I've seen this, I've touched it, I, I spent three years with this, I know who Jesus is, and I want you to know who he is because you have got to know the truth, and you can, and you can live it. That is in part rooted back to his understanding that there are what I'm going to call, here's the picture, spiritual termites. Spiritual termites, termites that want to eat away at your foundation of a life of faith. Anybody had termites in their house? We had termites years ago. And the thing that will always stay with me that I just, is taking a piece of wood that is, is, is strong, like a four by eight, four by six, and it's, it's foundational, and it's holding the weight of your house and the roof and all that, and it's, and, it, and it's strong. And to be able to take a piece of that wood and just... And as you do that and you look inside, there's all these tunnels, there's all these things that have gone through. And if you're fortunate, they'll still be there. 
And you'll see them, and they're ugly, and they're white, and they look like they've never seen the sun before. Like something out of Lord of the Rings or something, I don't know. And they're in there, and they're just chomping away, and they're eating that wood, and, and sorry, but they're pooping out the, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're a mom, Katie. That should be okay for you. You know poop happens. I know you know that. And what you are looking at on the outside and saying, that's my foundation. That's going to bear the weight of life for my house. If there's spiritual termites in there, if there's termites in there, at some point that house is going, if you don't catch it, if you don't identify them and take steps, it's going to bring down the house. And when you need it to be strong and you're expecting it to be strong, you got, you got nothing. The, the, those, the Antichrist and those who are on Satan's side, and we'll see in just a second, those who claim to speak for God but really they're on the side of the lie, they're spiritual termites. And, and the text that we have before us, John's thing is, stop inviting them into your house. I did not invite the termites into my house. I did not go out in the front yard and, with a megaphone and a piece of you know, juicy wood and go, hey, anybody? You know, I, I got a bunch of good wood over here, that, you know, some dug fur that looks really tasty. Come on, guys. You'd put me, you'd lock me up. <laughs> or at least my wife would. They were subterranean. They were underneath, and they, they came uninvited. But do you know what we do today as, as, as Christians, as those who claim to, to we put our faith in Jesus, and we claim that we're his, and, and we may be, I'm not questioning that, but as those who have put our faith in Jesus, we invite the spiritual termites into our lives. We listen to them on the radio and we watch them on TV and we read their blog or their book or hard truth. What, what John is saying here and what we see throughout scripture, that there are those who are on Satan's side and he's always scheming and working to, to bring people to the forefront who can say, hey, I speak for God. Maybe they'll even say, I am God. And we're guilty of inviting those with that little megaphone and that piece of wood. Come on into my life. Come onto my computer. Come onto my phone. Come into my television. Come into my world. Listen to what John says in chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, dear friends, beloved, those who are loved by God, beloved, do not believe every spirit, every voice, everyone who claims to speak for God. Do not believe, do not trust literally every spirit, but test them. Examine, it literally means to examine for genuous, genuineness. Are they genuine or are they deceiving? And it's a word that was used in the first century that a, a, a person who worked with, with metal, it described the process they would go through to find pure metal to separate the dross, the impurities. And different metals required different processes. But it described the process, the work, the effort that would go into, I don't know, is this pure silver? Is this pure gold? Is this pure bronze? I don't know. Let me go through the process to figure it out if it's pure. Let me test it. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. They look good, they sound good, I don't know. But test them, test me. Matt, can I put you in that category? Test Matt, Jeff. Can I put you, Jeff said no. Okay, so don't test him. This is on the internet, by the way. 
Jeff, can they test you? Test us. When we come and say, thus saith the Lord, I'm up here saying, here's what Thessalonians says, here's what First John, John says, we're going to look at a few other verses, Isaiah. Here's what it means in the lineage of Nehemiah, getting up in front of the people and making the explanation clear so that people can understand the word of God. Whoever's up here, put us to the test. Don't just listen to this and go, oh, that's one of our pastors, that's great, we love our pastors, thank you. But test us. How do we do that? Look at your Bible. Test the spirits to determine if they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are many voices out there, many who claim to speak for God, but they're false. They're really on the side of the lie. They're on Satan's side. So here's how you test them. This is how you know. The reality is they're all over the place. Have they multiplied in the last 2,000 years? Oh my goodness. And do they have greater access to us? Yeah, and do we sometimes give it to them without thinking? Yes, they're everywhere. So here's what you do. This is how you know the Spirit of God. This is how you know that it's not Satan working behind the scenes, but instead it is the Spirit of God working in that person and through that person. How do we know that? How do we tell them apart? You see it? I love this. It's so simple and it's so clear. Every one, every voice, every spirit, every false prophet who does not confess Jesus as being from God, whoever they, if they, if they don't confess, sorry, I skipped the verse, that's the negative, the positive is right before it. The spirit, the, every spirit who confesses or declares, are you totally confused now? Okay, stay with me because I skipped a line. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. We'll come back to that just in a second. But every spirit who does not confess Jesus in that same way, the, the parallelism in the verse here, they don't confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. They are not from God. In fact, this spirit, this voice, this prophet is what? The spirit of the Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming. I asked you if you heard about this guy. You heard he's coming? And there is, a, there is a, a, a human being at some point that's going to have this role that's described in Thessalonians and Revelation and, and Daniel and other places. And it's going to be an actual person and they're going to be in the right time, God's timing, but Satan's scheming to make it happen. But what John tells us, Paul tells us too, is that there's a whole bunch of people out there, there's a whole bunch of voices at any given time that are acting as antichrist. They are being used by Satan to propagate the lie. What's the lie? Remember? Satan says, I'm the one to worship. Everything else is false. How do we tell the difference? The one who says that Jesus has come in the flesh. Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus anointed one, promised one, Jesus Messiah. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, and to be the Messiah, he has to be fully human, and he has to be fully God. If you don't get, if you don't get how that's possible, it's a miracle, is it not? Do you understand how Peter walked on the water? I've tried it. It doesn't work. You know, you get, hopefully you can hold your breath for a long time. Do you understand how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? Do you try to explain it away? Do you deny it or do you embrace it as, an, as, a, as a miraculous expression of God's power? Jesus being fully God and fully man, how did he, you know, how does that, and uh, this is God. 
unfolding his miraculous plan of redemption of mankind, of people, of humanity. Is your salvation being forgiven not a, a miracle? Do you fully understand propitiation? Do you fully understand redemption? Do you fully understand justification? I don't. But I know propitiation has paid my price, and I know that I stand justified before Almighty God. I know that I've been redeemed. I've been purchased from my sin, and I know that I am his son, that I'm in his family. Praise God. Humbly, I say that. I don't fully get it. I don't understand why he did what he did. But I sure enjoy the benefit of his love for me and his grace and his mercy. You, you with me? So you say, well, how is this possible? I don't know. But here's where Satan attacks. He always attacks. His deception is always trying to diminish who God is, to take away something from who God is. Did God really say, are you sure God is good? Are you sure that he has your best interests in mind? Hmm. I wasn't clearing my throat. That was supposed to be the sound of a bite. <laughs> is that better? I have no idea what that sounds like online. He always wants to diminish. The spiritual termites always want to diminish who Jesus is. And Paul, John makes it so clear. And I love this because John knew Jesus maybe better than any other human on this earth. He had this relationship with him as his disciple. And they were intimately talking and sharing life. And they cried together and laughed together. And this, this book opens up with, with John saying, man, I was there and I, I, I hugged him. I don't know if they shook hands. They greeted with a holy kiss. I kissed the cheeks of Jesus. He had a really scratchy beard, but it looked good. <laughs> you with me? This is real, and John says, I know this, and I'm telling you, the way we distinguish between the truth and the lie is anyone who says, not anyone, but those who say, this is what the message of the Spirit of God will be, Jesus came as God taking on human form, and he went to the cross and died and was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. Really? That's all you got? Okay, I'll give you, it's, it's, well, it's not early. I won't give you that. It's 11.30. And the one in any way who diminishes, takes away, bites away at that, takes away that Jesus was God, is God, and that he came as a human being. That voice, that teaching, that prophet, that person, that religion, that belief is not from God. It's from Satan. Sounds harsh, but isn't that the big picture? That Satan is moving behind the scenes. John will say in his, in his second epistle, we'll see it in a couple of weeks, in verse seven of second John, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver. This message behind it is Satan, and it's not from God. In fact, look at verse 7. He says in, in 2 John, it is the Antichrist. It is the anti-Messiah. Anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was also man as well as God. So i got to ask you this, and i gotta, I got about five minutes left, so let me recalibrate here as I'm moving through the last part here. But I, I really want to ask us this question. Who is shaping your picture of Jesus? I'm challenging, I'm urging you to think about the sources that are speaking into your life. It needs to be the word of God, but it needs to be the word of God with the Holy Spirit invited to open up your eyes to see the truth. And then you have to look, starting with me, starting with Matt and Jeff, and say, okay, are these guys 
preaching this message that Jesus came in the flesh, that God came, the gospel message, and that there's no other way to the Father except through Jesus, because he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Are we exalting Jesus? Are we lifting him up as the only answer, the only way, that narrow way? Test and ask yourself, who is shaping your picture of Jesus? It's subtle, and it's often over time, and we struggle sometimes. Well, I really love this, this teacher or this book, or you know, I get great things from them. I understand that. That happens to me too. But we need to test if they are speaking this message and the Holy Spirit is in them and behind them, or if it is Satan in their message. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. I've used it before, but it, I have it written down so that I look at it regularly. He said this many, many years ago. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you are praying and you're thinking and here's who you believe God to be and this picture comes into your mind. He's this. He's angry. He's distant. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's forgiving. He's indifferent. He. Maybe he's impotent, I don't know, he doesn't seem to be, you know, whatever that picture is that comes into your mind, this preacher says that's the most important thing about you. And I agree with him. Who is it that is shaping our picture of Jesus? Peter will say this in 2 Peter chapter 2. There were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. Do we believe this is God's word for us today in 2021? Good. There will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive, subtly introduce heresies that sound good, but they deny the sovereign Lord who brought them, who will bring them swift destruction. Many will follow their shameful ways, and they will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories that they've made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. What he's saying, God knows this, God's aware. Don't think that they're getting away with whatever they're getting away. And it's not our problem to judge them or to bring them to destruction. It's our responsibility to test those we're allowing to speak into our lives. And if they are not speaking the truth, they are a spiritual termite, stop inviting them into your life. Spiritual termites will attack the uniqueness of the Father's plan to redeem creation by sending the creator to become the created and rescue the creation. My salvation depends upon the man, Christ Jesus, who hung on that cross. My salvation depends on him being fully human because that allows him to take my place. But I also need him to be fully God and sinless and perfect or he can't take my place. That's the gospel, that's the truth. Satan's over here in a multitude of ways. Eh, you know, maybe, maybe you got it wrong. Termites attack the uniqueness of the Father's plan, and it is unique that the Creator would come and take our place to redeem creation by sending the Creator to become the created and to rescue creation. Paul will say this in Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Most certainly, the mystery of godliness, the gospel is amazing. It's great. The mystery is great. He, God, was manifested in the flesh. He showed up in the flesh. He was vindicated in the spirit. The spirit filled him, in, and what Jesus did was done in the power of the spirit. He was, it was seen by angels. Heaven saw this unfold, and he was preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken back up into glory. Paul said, I get it that this is an amazing mystery, but God took on human form and took our place. 
And he calls on us to respond to it in faith. Ephesians 2, 5 and 8, I'm not going to read it, guys, but write that verse down. First John said this earlier in, our, in the book we're in. Who's the liar? Who should you not believe? It's the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Do you remember this? Look at what he says next. Such a man, anyone who teaches this, is the Antichrist. What makes him the Antichrist? He denies the Father and the Son. He denies the Father's plan that the Father sent the Son, that the Son is God and that he came and took on human form. They deny that. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son, whoever recognizes that the Son was sent by the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, God came to earth and took on human form. You acknowledge that? And you're believing the truth. Anyone who claims to speak for God but diminishes Jesus from being fully man and fully God is a spiritual termite. And they are intentionally or unintentionally trying to attack the foundation of your faith. Are you with me? I know it's in your minds, and I have it in mind too. There's certain people that, you know, and if I stop and test, they sound good. Man, they got a, a fruitful ministry. People are flocking to them. They're selling books. They're whatever. But I need to test them before I let them speak into my life. What did they do with Jesus? So what do we do? I'm gonna wrap up with this. I know my time is gone. But I need, I need just a few minutes. We need to see this in chapter four, verse four. What do I do when I find termites? Listen to, to John's instruction. I hope that you will be blessed, encouraged, and challenged by this. What do we do? Well, he says this. Hey, beloved, you're from God. You're from God, little children, and you have conquered them. The battle between that you're involved in, the truth and the lie, and these antichrists, these false prophets, the idea of antichrist and diminishing Jesus, it's everywhere. It's overwhelming at times, but you've already won. You've already conquered them. You've literally overcome them because the one who is in you, who is the one? Now, I know historically we say Jesus, and it, it, it's true, but specifically, who is in me? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. John will call him, and we won't have time, but you'll um, in, in, just write this down. John 14, 15, 16. There's this intimate conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and it's all about the Spirit of truth coming into their lives. Yeah, but what do we say? Don't worry about it. You're already conquerors. You're already victorious. You're going to leave us alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Spirit is going to come. The comforter, the paraclete, the Spirit of truth, he says multiple times, is going to come and live in you. And he is greater than every voice in this world. You've already won in Christ. You already have what you need because the one who is in you is greater. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit is greater than the one the Antichrist, or even bigger than that, the one behind the Antichrist that is in this world. They, Satan and all of his minions, if you will, are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Paul, John referring to himself, the, the apostles, the authors of the New Testament through the Holy Spirit. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. The Bible's, you know, it's, old, it's outdated, it's old, it's, you know, we know more now, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, that sounded disrespectful. But you with me? Anyone who says, oh, you know, that's, how can you believe that stuff? 
Anyone who knows God listens to his word. Anyone who is not from God does not listen. From this we know, from this, this thing that he's just unpacked, this reality, the truth and the lie, and what's going on in our world, from this understanding, from what we've just talked about, we know the spirit of truth and we know the spirit of deception. That's the definition of victory. Come on now. I know I'm over, I'm wrapping up, I promise. But that's being conquerors. That's what victory in this life looks like. I know the difference between the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, and the spirit of deception. I know what truth is and I know what deception is. And I can look at the deception and say, I'm not going to believe you. Go along with that because that's a lie. And I'm going to live my life on the truth. That's victory. You've already come the world. You already have that. Through the spirit of God, we have his word and his spirit that I can live in victory because we know, let me read it again, we know the spirit of truth and we know the spirit, the, the ploys, the schemes, the tactics of deception, of the lies of Satan. Are you guys encouraged? If you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in him. I hope that you're encouraged. I know when you leave this building, the world's gonna be the same, same world it was when you walked in. The burdens you walked in with, family, finances, health, culture, government, education, all those are gonna be there when you walk out of those doors. But we're victorious in this mess because we know the spirit of truth and we recognize the spirit of deception. That's victory. If you're here this morning and you, this is new to you or you're still trying to process this, process this, know this, the spirit of truth is waiting to move into your life and to open up your eyes to see the difference between the truth and the deception. And it's because God loves you. And you say, well, he doesn't know me. Yes, he does. You say, well, you don't know me. I don't need to because I know me. I know my brokenness, I know who I was and who I still am drawn to be, but God, the spirit of truth, moved in and did a new creation in me. And now the spirit of God speaks to me, he leads me, he convicts me so that I can walk in victory. And if you're here without Jesus Christ, you have not confessed him as Lord, know this, he loves you and the spirit of God is waiting to move into your life so that you can live in victory, no longer living under the weight, under the deception of Satan's lies. We need God. We need his spirit. We're gonna, we're gonna come to the Lord's table and so I invite you just to, if again, you say, well, what, what exactly are we doing? This is something that Jesus asked his children, his disciples, those who put their faith in him, to regularly do, to regularly come to the table and eat the bread and drink the cup and remember the things that we've been talking about this morning, where victory comes from. Victory does not come, hear me. They're, they're, that's the worship team, they're not leaving, they're not mad at me, they're just getting ready, okay? Some of you look like, oh my goodness, Amy walked out right in the middle of that thing, wow. They're just, they're coming to lead us, so come back to me. We do not live in victory in our own strength. Do not hear me and, and, and go, well what he was saying, when I walk out of this building, I gotta try harder. You go out and try harder, you're gonna fail just as miserably as you did the week before, and I know that from, we need God, we need him. 
And I want to invite you to prepare your hearts. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord, the invitation to the table is going to come in just a minute. But you need to prepare. We need to prepare. That's the only thing that he placed on us, right? Come honestly. If you've not lived in victory, it's not God's fault. It's mine. And he wants us to confess that. To confess, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And in this moment, coming to the Lord's table, just bear your heart. We prayed earlier this morning. Bring it all to him. And let me, maybe these words will help us prepare. Isaiah chapter 43. This is God speaking. He says, don't fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. See, God knows your name. He knows my name. And when I take the elements in a few minutes and I come to the Lord's table, he's calling Kurt to come to the table as his child. I'll be with you when you pass through the waters, and I'll be with you when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You won't be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. Feel like you walked through the flood this week? California, you feel like you walked through the fires this week? You're mine, and I know you by name. And then he says this in verse 4. You are precious in my sight, and you are honored. And I love you. That's Jehovah. That's Yahweh. That's Jesus, the God-man, saying, I love you. And this morning, in the next few minutes, we're going to be lifting our voices as part of our worship, but there's a few other parts of our worship. There's people. I'm going to ask our prayer team to move to the sides even now. And prayer team, if you want to visit the Lord's table on the way, feel free to do that or you can do it later. But begin to make your way over there and you're invited. You're invited to come up here and kneel and pray as your worship to God. You need to deal with God. You didn't live in victory this week, this month, this year. Deal with that right now with God. You've been buying into the lie. Deal with it. Come and confess it to God and he loves you. And you'll find grace and mercy in your time of need. Maybe you need to kneel where you're at. Maybe you need to go to the sides and you need to with a brother or sister and just say, hear God and cry out to God with them. They'll cry out with you. In a moment, you're going to be invited to come to the table. When you're ready, you come to the Lord's table as a follower of Jesus and you eat and you drink and you do this in remembrance of him because he loves you. But come in all of these things as we sing, as we pray, as we as we. Worship him at the table. Will you join me? I need this too. Will you join me in coming to these things and are coming to worship with the understanding that we need him? This is not a self-help message. That's not John's intent. It's the spirit of God living in the child of God that makes victorious victory possible. It's already there. We gotta walk in it. We gotta live in it. Just prepare your heart if you would. If you're watching online, I encourage you to prepare your heart. Have the elements ready. Nate, worship team, would you, you lead us? This is a cry of our heart. Lord, we need you.